From the Garrison Institute, this is Climate, Mind, and Behavior. I'm Eleanor Bennett. Each episode will explore groundbreaking intersections between climate change, resilience, contemplative practice, and human behavior. You have to decide how you're going to live your life, even in the midst of ongoing rising trauma and stress. And that's going to be critical to everybody. Bob Doppelt is executive director of the Resource Innovation Group, a nonpartisan social science-based sustainability and climate change organization. He also teaches systems thinking and climate policy at the University of Oregon. He has advanced training in counseling psychology, environmental land management, and has been practicing socially engaged Buddhism for 25 years. Doppelt believes climate disruption is not at its core an environmental, energy, or technological problem, but the greatest crises of thought and imagination in human history. Doppelt called me from his home in Oregon to talk about these ideas and his new book, Transformational Resilience, How Building Human Resilience to Climate Disruption Can Safeguard Society and Increase Well-Being. My organization's been involved with climate adaptation and preparedness programs around the U.S. In fact, we were one of the early organizations in the field starting 10 years ago, and through that work found that the focus was almost exclusively on external physical infrastructure, human-built infrastructure, roads, water systems, et cetera, and or natural resource adaptation, forest, agriculture, and there was little to no emphasis on how humans, how people will respond to the impacts of climate change. And uh, it came about through some of the work we were actually doing where we actually saw the impacts, but we're dealing with them. And it was one of those aha moments, so to speak, for me, because I'm trained as a counseling psychologist, and yet we weren't focused on that issue. Uh, Part of it is the distress that many people are feeling, knowing what's happening uh, with the the climate and seeing very little progress in addressing it. Uh, That was part of what we saw, but uh, even a greater extent and the bigger issue is growing frequency and intensity of extreme weather events was creating a tremendous amount of mental health problems around the U.S. and the world. Saw it after Superstorm Sandy, for example. They're still dealing with the mental health impacts of Superstorm Sandy in New Jersey and New York and different places. And just as importantly, we're seeing a tremendous number of psychosocial problems emerge. The mental health tend to be uh, anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, increased suicides, etc. The psychosocial, we're seeing increased interpersonal aggression. We're seeing increased crime, increased violence caused by the impacts of climate change. And that reduces the safety and security of everyone. And equally important, as more people become emotionally and psychologically dysregulated because of the impacts of climate change, uh, they go into a self-protective defensive mode, which leaves them very unconcerned about how they impact other people or the natural environment, meaning they're much less interested or not interested in all in reducing their emissions and preparing for climate change. So the psychosocial and mental health aspects, which are already growing very rapidly, will make it more difficult to even reduce climate change to manageable levels. So this is a real, real serious problem. 
Uh, in fact, I think unless we get our hands around, unless we get out front on the personal and psychosocial aspects of climate change, we will not solve this problem, even if we have the technical capabilities to reduce emissions. So that's what uh, we're working on now exclusively uh, and what the ITRC focuses on. That work is, I agree, incredibly important, especially at this moment in time. And how do you manage your own feelings about all of this, about climate change and its implications? Well, it's clearly distressing. We've developed what we call the resilient growth model to help people deal with the traumas and stresses. Again, our concern is mostly the acute traumas caused by rising food prices, water shortages, et cetera, et cetera, more than it is just the emotional stress knowing that climate change is going on. Uh, But it does affect me, and one of the the pieces of the model that we've developed is that um, acting is the best way to foster hope. So you've got to actually engage in activities, and when you see some progress, you foster hope. So I stay engaged with the work I do. I run workshops. I coordinate the coalition. We're working with the White House. We're doing a whole bunch of stuff, and that's how I uh, stay hopeful. Um, I call it how how you harvest hope, uh, and that's a key element. And can you talk a little bit about how you first came to practice Buddhism, and has this practice shaped your personal life and your climate work? I don't think I, I actually thought about practicing Buddhism as much as practicing meditation 35 or whatever it is years ago, and uh, went to a number of workshops and got engaged and found it very helpful to me and, uh, and my wife. So then the Buddhism sort of grew out of that. I started to learn some of the philosophical principles underneath it uh, and realized that one of the core elements of Buddhism is uh, the starting point is to acknowledge your suffering. Uh, you have to acknowledge the truth of what's going on in order to move to the next step. So that helped me realize, yeah, we have to just openly deal with these issues and talk about these issues. And it's very helpful to uh, uh, acknowledge what's going on, put a name to it, put a, uh, label it, and then uh, acknowledge the root causes of it, which is the way we think about things, our, our core assumptions and beliefs, and then realize there's a way out of that and that is by changing our assumptions and beliefs. So that's sort of the framework that I've always used in my work. And you touched on this a little bit, but I I would love to talk a little bit more about how your work in transformational resilience moves people into action instead of denial and closing down in the face of all this. Well, the resilient growth model has two components, Um, and this again, we we just did extensive research on how do we help people deal with all of these issues. The first focus is presencing skills. And and what that means is skills to help you center and calm your nervous system when you are uh, experiencing trauma or toxic stress. And there's a number of different steps within that. Uh, That helps you sort of control your, what we call your fear and alarm center, the amygdala part of your brain that is dysregulating you. Um, Then you are much more able to make wise and skillful decisions. But that's only the first part, because climate change is an ongoing problem that's only going to get worse and worse over the next 100 to 200 years. Uh, The second part uh, of the resilient growth model is what we call purposing. Uh, And that means you have to decide how you're going to live your life, even in the midst of ongoing rising trauma and stress. And that's going to be critical to everybody. And as part of that, the first step is to 
what we call um, watch for new insights about yourself and the world as a result of the stress and trauma you experience uh, to, to turn towards it rather than run from it to learn about the world and yourself. The second then is to tap into your core values. Well, how do you want to live your life in the midst of ongoing stress? And then the third step of purposing, is, as, as I described, is then to harvest hope by putting your values and what you've learned into action in ways that help you feel like you're uh, contributing to the solution. Uh, and you just have to stay with those three steps. You've got to continue to learn about yourself, et cetera. And at sometimes you have to grieve that there's no question that grieving allows you to move forward. And there's, there's really no set formula to grieving. Each person and each group does it in different ways. But uh, it is important to do that if you're, if you're really distressed. So at Garrison, we talk a lot about the idea that social transformation starts with personal transformation. Our theory of change in the Climate, Mind, and Behavior program is that building organizational community and global resilience in the face of climate change through contemplative practice should start with personal resilience. What are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, you know, personal and psychosocial resilience starts at the individual level, but it's obviously heavily shaped and influenced by the social environment uh, that, and physical environment people are involved with. And so the organizations and communities people live in, the society they live in, clearly shapes their capacity for resilience, personal resilience, uh, and the amount and uh, type of uh, traumas that happen physically are also important. So if you live in a, uh, a coastal area that's uh, getting hit by sea level rise and bigger storm surges, and um, that's much more difficult than if you live where I live. We're lucky here. Just, we, you know, we, we haven't had that yet. But even in the midst of the worst traumas and stresses, an individual still has the capacity, if they are aware of themselves and uh, or mindful, if you want to use that word, of what's going on, to choose the way they respond. We all have that one freedom, that one capacity. We often think we don't, uh, but we do. Um, and you've seen that throughout history. Uh, from different people who, under the worst possible conditions, rise up above it, act with altruism, and promote tremendous change. Gandhi is an example, um, uh, Nelson Mandela, other, you know, on and on and on. Those are the sort of well-known, but it happens all the time on an individual basis. So really important to, uh, to, to, to help people understand that they have the capacity uh, for presencing and purposing skills, as we call it, and, uh, and the reason we use the term transformational resilience is that most of the time resilience has been defined as bouncing back to where people were before a crisis. But not with climate change, it's not enough. It's not sufficient because, first of all, we don't want to bounce back to the conditions that created climate change. Uh, that is not very helpful. And when you look at the condition, the uh, social and psychological condition of many people today, for example, if you look at ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences that 30 to 50 percent of youth in uh, children in the U.S. experience, according to the research, um, you don't want people to. We don't want people to bounce back to those kind of traumatic experiences. We want people to be able to use adversity as a catalyst to learn and grow 
and increase their well-being and the well-being of others. That's what we mean by transformational resilience. It's really uh, using adversity to increase our well-being, and in this case, the well-being of the climate as well. So organizations and communities uh, are critical elements of that, but building personal and psychosocial resilience helps organizations and communities. That's really the key, and that's the message that the ITRC is trying to promote. And are you hopeful moving into the future? Well, I, I'm sort of an old codger now. I'm 65, I, and so I, I'm not going to be around to see most of what happens, you know, as we get above it to two degrees and beyond. Uh, maybe, uh, hopefully, I'll make it uh, that, you know, to, to, to uh, mid-century, although I'll be a pretty old guy. But um, I'd like to be around. I'd like to see how this plays out because I think this is an opportunity. There's going to be lots of pain in the future. There's no question. But it's also... Uh, Climate change, for example, might be one of the very first and most important issues that brings the entire world community together to work together because it affects everybody. There's nobody immune from this. Yes, some are likely to be hit harder initially, but everybody is affected at one at two degrees Celsius or even close to that. So there's an opportunity that to, to really create a sort of a new way of interrelating to people around the world. And I think it will be a stimulus that will change the way we live, the, our economic systems. I think it's going to pr- profoundly change everything in a very positive way. So I am optimistic about those, but I will say, in fact, I have a book coming out in this in two weeks. So it'll be ready. That is only if we launch a national and international movement in the very near future to build personal and psychosocial resilience. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess my last question for you is, I'm 24 years old and just graduated from college, and I'm wondering, what advice do you have for young people who are going to see this through, and and people even younger than me who will see even more of it through um, moving forward? Well, First of all, I, I teach at the university, and I'm teaching this term. I only teach once a year now. Um, and so I have a lot of students who are actually a little younger than you, though. And my advice is sort of two and threefold. One is learn personal and group resilience skills so you have that capacity. And what that starts with is understanding how trauma and stress affect your, your mind and body so you can become aware when you're being affected in that way what's happening. It's not that you're weird. It's not that something's wrong with you. It's a natural human reaction to trauma and stress. When people get wigged out, they get personally, physically stressed, emotionally stressed. You might get aggressive with other people or you might withdraw from others. Those are trauma responses. So understand that, number one. And then two, learn presencing and purposing skills that I've talked about. In number, and part of the presencing skills is finding groups of people to be with that can uh, support you, your social support networks. But secondarily, I would suggest that um, learn how to think in systems. That's one of my classes, this term that I teach, that we call sustainable thinking, but it's systems thinking. We react to a crisis with a simple solution. We don't understand the complexity of, of the systems that are actually producing those crises like climate change, and learn to think in systems uh, and learn to act within the context of systems. That's really, really important. Uh, And third is to engage because, frankly, you have nothing to lose. 
and everything to gain. And you can engage in whatever way, level you want. Not only will it make things better, but that's how you maintain your resilience. And then look forward to, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting time ahead and lots of opportunities. That's really great advice, and I'm going to use it going forward. Great. Well, I thank you for doing it, and I wish you all the best in your work. Okay. Thank you so much, Bob, for taking the time to talk with me. You bet. Good Take luck care. to you. Bye-bye. To learn more about the Garrison Institute's Climate, Mind, and Behavior program, visit garrisoninstitute.org, where you can also listen to an archived podcast of this show, join our mailing list, and sign up for our monthly email newsletter, delivering the latest research and programs from around the world that promote resilience in a changing climate, right to you. Our theme music is composed by Zoe Keating. You can find her music on iTunes or on her website, zoekeating.com.